Welcome to the Good Christian Podcast. My name is Joshua. And my name is Lisa. We are not saying we're always good Christians, but this is always a good podcast for Christians to listen to. We pray that at the Good Christian Podcast, you will always find hope, equipping, and encouragement to follow Jesus well in our modern world. We hope this is a place for you to come and learn how to live out your faith in every aspect of your life. You may not believe everything we do, but we hope this is still a space for you to learn and grow alongside of us, no matter where you are in your faith journey. We hope today's episode is life-changing for you, and if you find value in it, please share it with a friend. Let's go ahead and jump into today's episode. Beautiful. All right, all right, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Good Christian Podcast. We are very excited. We have not, tell me I get your name right, Peter Valk or Peter Vlack? Which one is Valk. it? Valk. Yes. Peter Valk. Uh, this guy is an extraordinary gentleman doing a lot of amazing work for the Lord and some very key areas that are needed in this uh, generation. And I am uh, excited to and just get into the convo with you. Peter, before we get into um, your current work, your current ministry, what, sure. what you're all about, could you just give us a bit of a background, um, your story? story, you know, where you come from. But before even that, tell me, how did you get into playing the bassoon? <laughs> yeah, uh, so I um, started playing the bassoon when I was in sixth grade and uh, played right up until the pandemic, basically, uh, in some kind of ensemble. Um, I the, the town that I grew up in had a surprisingly kind of large and kind of pretty serious high school band program, both marching band program and uh, kind of concert band program. And so to, to feed that, that, that larger program uh, and kind of an award-winning program, we had pretty robust middle school programs. Well, to recruit people to be in the middle school band programs, during the year before you went to middle school, they had these like instrument tryout sessions where you could see whether you had any natural kind of affinity for brass instruments or single reed woodwind instruments or double reed woodwind instruments or percussion or whatnot that right. you might just, you know, pick up the instrument more easily for whatever reason. Um, so I'd like to tell you that I played the bassoon because I tried out all these instruments and the bassoon was just the best fit for me, kind of had this natural, you know, knack for the bassoon, but really was because uh, I was late um, <laughs> uh, because I was, my mom was giving me a ride. And as was true in our family, we were always late to everything. I love my mother, but she is known for being late. And so because we were late, well. I can relate to that, actually. There you go. Yeah. Um, because we were late, most of the kind of spots in the band for the next year had already been taken. Son of a gun. And so I got I got assigned to the bassoon, but it ended up working out. And I really uh, enjoyed playing that instrument, enjoy playing that instrument. I'm looking forward to when I get to get back into that. Is the bassoon in the brass or is it a woodwind? It's a woodwind, um, but it's a little different than most woodwinds are single reed instruments, which means when you play it, kind of it's a single 
uh, reed vibrating against a piece of plastic or wood, whereas the bassoon and the oboe are double reeded instruments where there's two pieces of wood right up next to each other that right. you're that you're playing on. So right. yeah, I play I played the clarinet for one year, didn't like it. Switched to the saxophone, played that for two, and then switched to trumpet for a year. I can stick with anything and. Now I barely play a little bit of the guitar. I play it just enough to not be able to really play anything. I know a little bit of 90s of grunge rock, but that's about it. <laughs> nice. So I just aged myself there. All right, man. Well, enough about that. I, I just, I always love to ask, like, there's always usually like something, just a little quirk or a background thing, but give us your background, man. Like what, uh, who is... Peter Valk. I mean, I'll say a few things that, you know, have, uh, that are just out there on your website. You're a follower of Jesus. Uh, I think that's the, the place we start, right? Like what's your journey with Jesus been like? Yeah, I grew up in, uh, rural East Tennessee in a Christian home, um, and, um, really came to know Jesus as my, personal Lord and Savior uh, later in elementary school. Um, and, you know, the the hope of faith that my parents had offered me in baptism as a child, finally, you know, uh, we confirmed that it, it took, you know, right. um, and that I was, that Jesus Christ was my personal Lord and Savior. Um, but, uh, and in many ways, it, why I really needed Jesus and why I real the world around me needed Jesus didn't set in fully until I started to notice some brokenness in my own life, mm. some ways that I was not as, as I think God meant for me to be. And that the world around me was not the way God meant for it to be. And, and, and why I, 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 I both need Jesus's work on the cross and need Jesus's return to make all of the world. Right. Mm. Um, so it really wasn't until I noticed kind of same sex attractions in my own life that, that, that my need for the gospel and the world's need for the gospel around me, fully set in. Yeah, wow. Wow. So, and that kind of, you know, began, I think that's where we all like began, right? It's like we, uh, what is it? Bless are the poor in spirit, right? When we realize our need for God, um, and, I, and I can I can attest to that. I had a very broken background. Uh, let's see. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom divorced my dad when I was young. Grew up in a broken home. I was molested as a five-year-old. Um, that'll mess with you. Then I stuttered really badly. So I was bullied a lot. So I had a, this real sense of things aren't right. Like this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Um, and I saw the world out there very broken. It wasn't until... Uh, and I grew up in the Catholic faith or the Catholic spirituality or the denomination, you know, whatever language you want to use. Um, and I saw, you know, I, it didn't it didn't really click. It was only when I heard the gospel actually preached um, uh, uh, later in life after I went way off the rails. Hmm. And uh, and then God threw me back and I realized like, oh crud, this is real. Jesus is real. The stuff I grew up with isn't just a nice religion. Like this is real. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what I mean? Like when we come to this reality that I need the Lord, I need God, I need salvation. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's it. <laughs> Half my time as a pastor is getting folks to understand their brokenness because in our world, it's just you know, everything's fine, right? Like, uh, you do you, me, you know, and uh, it's really interesting. I think that's an important point is just we all have to recognize our need for the Lord. But you said something really interesting. I need I need his work on the cross, but I need him to come back to make the world right. I feel like we don't talk about that as much in the church these days about one day Jesus will return and right. restore all things, right? Yeah. Very cool. Very cool, man. Um, so you're a follower of Jesus, but you're also a licensed counselor. Mm-hmm. What What's your background in counseling? Yeah, I have a, a master's in clinical mental health counseling from Lipscomb University, and uh, and I'm a licensed professional counselor. And, you know, I have about five or six clients a week. Um, so I meet primarily with Christians who are trying to make sense of questions around faith and sexuality mm-hmm. um, in a counseling space. So yeah, I'm grateful to do that. That's kind of a side gig for me, uh, but I'm but I'm really grateful for to be able to serve my clients in those ways. Let's keep it going in the um, the work that you do as a monastery builder. You're <laughs> an aspire. You're an aspiring Anglican deacon and a teacher and you are an author and a speaker i mean mate you're getting you're you're getting things accomplished in life yeah i tend to be busy i imagine (laughs) so i imagine so talk to me about your work at building a um you're building a, a monastery i mean i've spent some time at monasteries and i have a deep respect for the monastic way of life. It's a profound spirituality, but it's also a profound, today we would use the word uh, lifestyle, right? You know, in the old days, it was the rule of life, right? But, you know, we would call it a lifestyle of spirituality and spiritual discipline. When did the call to the monastic life start to kind of show up? Yeah. So, I mean, because of my faith and because of my sexuality and because of my continued commitment that God's wisdom for my sexuality as revealed in the scriptures understood by the historic church is what is best for me because of all those things. Um, I, 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 I knew that um, marriage with someone of the opposite, excuse me, marriage with someone of the same sex was not God's best for me. Mm. Um, as I read through the scriptures, I saw some teachings in scripture about singleness for the sake of the kingdom, but I didn't see that lived out in the world around me. Um, and then while I'm not bisexual, I'm not generally attracted to people of the opposite sex. Um, I was in a a Christian fraternity in college where we had date events that I had to take girls to. And, and I was pretty transparent with people in college about my sexuality. Uh, but I, but I, you know, took girls on date events as friends. And then a couple of times we, um, we had a good time, a really good time. And I asked them afterwards, you know, Hey, 
do you want to keep hanging out? Do you want to go on like some dates? I mean, you know about my sexuality, but but this was fun. We want to see what happens. And and actually, two of those times, I f- I fell in love with those those women, and one of them I almost got engaged to. Um, we broke up for reasons unrelated to my sexuality, but that's all to say that I knew that that the complexities of marrying um, a woman with enduring same sex attractions was also an option for me. Um, and yeah, so once I got out of college and I saw these two options before me, singleness for the Lord or opposite sex Christian marriage, uh, I knew which one I preferred, which one I wanted to pursue, which one I wanted to go take hold of, but I I can't explain it any other way than the Holy Spirit made clear to me that, that God wanted me to ask him if he had a preference for which gift he wanted to give me. And actually, you know, as I've studied the scripture since then, I think actually that's God's hope for every Christian young adult is, is that God does have a preference for whether he gives the gift of vocational singleness or the gift of Christian marriage. And he wants us to seek him for that. So anyway, I, I, I discerned that question. I felt some clarity that I was called to the kind of lifetime abstinence singleness for the sake of doing kingdom work with undivided attention that, that Jesus talks about in Matthew 19 and Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7. I felt called to that. Yeah. But I also knew that I did not have some magical gift of celibacy, that I didn't need human companionship anymore, that right. I didn't need non-romantic, non-sexual, but but meaningful family in the body of Christ. Right. So I asked my pastor, you know, how I could find that and whether or not I was going to find the kind of family in the body of Christ at my local church that I needed. And he responded very honestly and said, no. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I'll be honest with you. So one of the reasons I can appreciate where you're coming from is I had a very broken sexual past um, just as a, you know, as a a lost, you know, man in Mm. college and beyond got radically saved and God began renewing and renovating my life. Um, and I was with a girl was an, it wasn't a God honoring relationship. And, um, she had a boy who died right after we broke up. And Mm -hmm. so there was this dark brokenness in my life. And I realized, um, that God called me to, uh, I I fasted dating for one year and that one year turned into nine and a half years of singleness and in that time not too long after the one year felt the call to go into ministry Hmm. and so there was a decade of my life almost that I was I felt very called like I want to would love a you know a relationship it wasn't in the cards one because of how broken I was and two like how much renovation the Lord was doing all that to say Hmm. I during the season of singleness um as a as a straight man i think it was po- i think it was easier to find the community i needed mm. in the local church and so that interestingly I, I find um do you think the answer of your pastor was because of the same sex attraction or do you think it was just in general or do you think that yeah i i'm interested in your thoughts, um, do you think it is more difficult for same-sex attracted men and women to find the community they need if they're going to live the lifestyle of singleness for the Lord? 
Yeah, so I wouldn't say the differences between whether a Christian, a single Christian experiences same-sex attraction or experiences exclusively opposite sex attraction. I think the difference is whether they are preparing for lifetime singleness or mm. short-term singleness. I think right. that's the difference maker. Because I think mm. if someone knows, oh, I'm I'm going to be single for a year, a couple of years, maybe even five years, but eventually um, I'm going to get married. Um, and this, um, and I don't really need to find my, my long-term family in singleness. Mm -hmm. I don't need to figure out how to make this work for 50 years. I just have to figure out how to survive through singleness for five years. Um, I think there are other resources in our churches to be single for five years as an adult. I don't think there are resources in our church for people to be single for 50 years as an adult, regardless of, of sexual attractions. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what my pastor was getting at. He had friends who were committed to celibacy of, of different sexual orientations. And he had seen what level of family in the body of Christ they needed to, to thrive in their vocation. And he'd seen how they failed to thrive when they didn't have the family in the body of Christ they needed. And so what he responded was, with was he said, uh, he said, Peter, the most common way that celibate people have found family in the church over the past 2000 years has been monasticism. some form of monasticism. And he said, monasticism has been the greatest source of, of, of social justice in the church. Monasticism has been the greatest source of theology in the church. And monasticism has been the greatest source of um, evangelism in the church. And so he challenged me to go start some kind of modern monastery, some kind of intentional Christian community, some kind of brotherhood where I could find the kind of family in the body of Christ that I needed and then stick around my local church and teach our church how to do family and the body of Christ better. And his hope was like, Peter, maybe by the time you die, we will have gotten good enough at family and the body of Christ in our church that the community you've built is no longer necessary for the next generation of celibate Christians at our church. So that's, that's what that was called. And, and I said yes to that. To that, that, that that's a worthwhile life's mission. Like that's a worthwhile calling. We're going to include Robbie in the conversation in just a minute, but I want to keep this going because you've already said a few profound things that are profoundly countercultural. One, that the sexuality that you were experiencing was not God's best. Hmm. Uh, The same sex attraction that... That alone, the idea that your sexuality, that God, that someone else would have a, um, what would you say? You use the word a preference. Um, that wasn't God's best. That alone is, um, what would you call me? That's out, out, that's an outright rebellion in this world. Um, to say that one, there is a God. Two, that God designs sexuality in a certain way and that three god has a will for our sexuality Mm -hmm. um i would just love you to speak into that a bit because where we are in this cultural moment where really sexuality gender identity have become an idol the the almighty almost it's it's seems like um i would just love you to speak into that of um, what you believe, you know, what does a uh, God honoring sexuality look like? What does a holy sexuality look like? Yeah. Where 
whatever your sexual preference. Yeah, I definitely think you're right that in kind of American Christianity, there there is this temptation to to find our identity in something other than Jesus and primarily in something other than Jesus. And sometimes that's people wrapping themselves in the rainbow flag. Sometimes that's people wrapping themselves in the American flag. I think those idolatries are are equally unhelpful for the Christian. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think these, the, you're right. The key questions here um, are, does someone believe that a God exists? Does someone believe that that God knows what's best for us better than we do? And number three is the way we know who that God is and what his best is for us is by reading his scriptures with the historic church. Mm. Those are much, those three questions are much more important questions than what someone's opinion is on sexual ethics. And usually if I disagree with someone about sexual ethics, our disagreement isn't really at the core about sexual ethics. It's about one of those more fundamental questions. They either disagree about whether God exists they disagree about whether or not that God knows what's best for them better than they do, or they disagree that the way we know that God's wisdom for us is by reading the scriptures with the historic church. And so, you know, if ever I find myself disagreeing with someone about sexual ethics, I try to dial it back to, hey, which of those three more core questions mm. do we really have a difference of opinion? And then let's talk about that, because those questions are much more important than disagreements about sexual ethics. Yeah, that's the worldview stuff that is usually below your ethics. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'll, we literally just taught a Christian's ethics class at our church. And we were discussing like, you're at the what, what's the why, why are you believing this? What? And that's the, the worldview work that honestly, people are debating this or that when, when really we are coming at it from a completely different world view. Yeah. Um, I don't want to dominate the convo. I know Robbie is like, he has the utmost respect for you. Robbie comes from a background as a pastor as well, but he's also very much an ethicist and he's very much a Jesus, uh, a Jesus follower. Robbie, we've just kind of gotten into, um, a bit of, uh, Peter's work and what he's and his journey, and why the monastic life, why the life of celibacy. Um, we haven't really gotten into your work equipping churches. I, I'm sure Robbie's got a few questions he's uh, chomping at the bit to discuss. Robbie, why don't you jump in, man? For sure. Thanks. Get you hearing me okay? Yep, we're there, man. Good to meet you, Peter. Glad to be here jumping in. I was so keen, so I was like, I'm literally substitute teaching i'm on a break and i'm like i am getting it on this zoom i just wanted to hear what you had to okay. say i get to chat with you man so awesome. thanks so much for being with us yeah um, to be here. yeah look i mean i i was very drawn to your work peter because i think it's very clear and very, it's it doesn't take a lot of convincing to to show someone that this is a this is a hole that a lot of churches have that this is a space where I, I only became aware of it a couple of years ago reading um sean out uh, sorry sam albury if you're familiar and yeah. with some of his great work and he's, yeah, he's the pointing to the fact yeah he's he's brilliant and uh, just pointing to the fact that we we are not creating spaces for these people once we have said turn from this way and start following the biblical doctrine of your your human sexuality and your physical uh your physical being we haven't given them anywhere to go so they're walking away and and have you know uh they can turn back or they can fall off a cliff 
So to yeah. see that you were compassionately working in that space got me really excited. So, um, but I know that it doesn't maybe get everyone excited. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to know if you were comfortable going into a little bit of when you're trying to maybe uh, uh, spread this word or uh, reach out to different churches or organizations, are, are you hitting the wall anywhere? Are you hitting resistance or um, is, is the church really open to having this conversation and dialogue with you, the churches that you're working with? Um, or are you seeing that there's, there's a bit of a resistance to it? Um, or has it been the opposite? Am I assuming wrongly? And, and you're seeing that doors are really open and people are, are curious about what you're doing. Yeah. So I think sometimes we experience resistance because there's, there's a lot of churches that, um, that are kind of either enamored by, uh, one theological extreme or another, they're either enamored by kind of a, an ex-gay theology or a pray-the-gay-away theology that is ultimately anti-biblical and also psychologically unhealthy, um, or they're enamored by a revisionist sexual ethic, uh, by a gay-affirming theology that rejects God's wisdom on these topics. And, and, and for too many gay Christians I know who adopt a revisionist sexual ethic, eventually leads to them leaving, leaving the faith. It leads to spiritual death. Um, so a lot of churches, uh, unfortunately, are kind of more interested in one of those extremes, and they are interested in compassionate orthodoxy on this topic. Um, but then for the churches that kind of in, in the middle between those two extremes, there's often a hesitation to get into these topics because, um, as is true in a lot of things kind of culturally in America, um, holding a middle space is usually one of the hardest things to do. And um, and it's it's easy. It, you find you're getting it from both ends. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and there's incentives that if you find yourself in a middle place to just be quiet, to just be silent. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of churches that maybe uh, would like to kind of find some place in between those two extremes. It's both that's both compassionate and hold on holds on to biblical wisdom. Um, for decades, they have avoided sharing about God's love and wisdom for LGBT plus people. And that's led to maybe some 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 lack of discipleship in their church, and and a wide variety of opinions in their church could kind of blossom and grow up in in that kind of absence of of, of kind of church led discipleship on these topics, and that means that they're afraid to broach these topics again because they know that there are lots of people who will disagree with them. Yeah. Um, I think three other things I'll say as like some 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 blind spots and and then related to that key levers for doing this work well in our churches is we've got to um, kind of raise the bar for everyone's sexual stewardship in order to have the credibility to invite gay Christians to a historic sexual ethic. Uh, but to do that, we need to actually take what the Bible has to say about sexual ethics seriously for straight people in ways that we haven't in many churches for decades. Um, if we're serious about um, God's wisdom for everyone's sexual stewardship, then we need to be churches where we are actually teaching about the kind of vocational singleness that Jesus talks about in Matthew 19 and Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7 and making sure our place, our churches are places where people can find lifelong lived in human family in vocational singleness. Um, and, and last but not least, um, we need to make sure that we are um, teaching our kids in age appropriate ways about God's love and wisdom for LGBT plus people, um, both so that we can disciple our kids on these topics instead of letting the world disciple our kids, but also because we we don't want to repeat the mistakes of the past. And a big mistake of the past is we waited until kids shared with us about that this was part of their story before we offered them God's love and wisdom. But the problem with that 
was that on average, there's a five-year gap between when teens first notice same-sex attractions in their life versus when they first share with a parent or a pastor. So most of the time, when kids come out to their parents or pastors, they have already spent five years making sense of how they think about their sexuality, mm. alone with the lies of the enemy and culture. And, and they've already, the deed is done. Many of them have already decided that God is not good or God's wisdom is not true on this topic. And it's often too late when oh. parents or pastors talk to kids after they've already gotten a five-year head start in making sense of this. The way we prevent that and prevent the, the wounds of those kids being in the closet by themselves, including the anxiety and the depression and the suicidality and the unhealthy coping mechanisms, the way we prevent that is we make sure we share with every kid before puberty about God's love and wisdom for LGBT plus people and encourage our kids that, hey, if this is a part of your story, Please share with us. You don't have to make sense of this alone. It's not your fault. We're not going to try to fix you, but we know God has a good wisdom for you. God loves you. God has a plan for your life to enjoy fullness, and we want to help you take hold of that. And so those are key levers, key, key steps churches need to take, but, and then, but many churches are afraid to take those steps, and, and that's the hesitation they feel towards this work because they're afraid to equip parents to have these conversations with their kids. They're afraid to actually talk to straight people about divorce and remarriage and celibacy and pornography and raising kids in the context of Christian marriage. Um, and they're afraid to teach what the Bible actually has to say about singleness and accept the responsibility of cultivating intentional Christian community in our churches. And so maybe it's just easier to stay quiet on these topics for for another year, for another five years, for another decade. So that's some of the, the resistance we experience, some of the hesitation we experience. Unreal, man. Unreal. I really love um, the only word that comes to mind is um, both the spiritual, ethical, and intellectual veracity that you're tackling with this stuff. Gets me fired up. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, you, you um, I want to go back to well, okay, we've got to have uh, God's way to engage in lifelong fulfilling the needs of, you know, we have to offer an alternative lifestyle that is beautiful, that's godly, that's good, um, that is fulfilling. And I think about you as a wonderful example. You've chosen, I like the word you use, vocational singleness, so that you can do kingdom work. There has to be a so that. And I look at the life you're living and the fruitfulness of your life, even at an, er, at an early age, when you look at the mission, the work, the kingdom work that's possible because of your, your lifestyle choice, um, you know, for the decade I was single, I was really able to make some moves. Like you can do some stuff when you're fully devoted to the Lord now I'm on a different path. I am married. Yeah. Yo, that ain't easy. <laughs> uh, love you, babe. Um, but here's the thing. Is like, much longer. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, not much longer, right? Like <laughs> there is a, no, and I, and I used to wrestle with uh, my wife on this because it was difficult because I was single, fully devoted unto the Lord. There is an ease in that. There is a grace in that. There's a freedom in that, that really releases a level of kingdom work that others don't really get to experience. And so I think there is power when you said, you know, the monastic life has been the greatest of 
evangelicalism, theology. Um, you said one more, social right? Justice. And social justice, like these are not small things in the church or for changing the world. And so like these, I think the fact that you're you're stepping out to cultivate your own is really beautiful, like a uh, modern expression. So all that to say, <laughs> I think it was a book, I think it was Rob Bell. I don't know if it was Rob Bell, but there was this very interesting book called Sex God. Um, and it was just about this idea of like that God created sex and um, how things go astray and and I'll never forget this uh, line. It says the two great means of a connection are our spirituality and sexuality. And so just because you're living a celibate life does not make you an asexual being. So I'm really interested uh, just in your journey of um, how does celibate life within the context of a community and full devotion to the Lord, how do you see that life fulfilling you and your yeah. brothers? Yeah. And, and I, I'll also tack on at the beginning, you know, I don't want anyone who's uh, married or who are married Christians raising kids here to hear me suggesting that I think I do more kingdom work than you do, or that God is any more delighted in me than he is in you. Um, you know, we, there's different kinds and levels of focus and depth and numbers of kingdom works that maybe those committed to vocational singleness versus those raising kids in Christian marriage can do. But I think loving, like cultivating a marriage uh, to, to image um, what's true about Christ and his church to the world around us and raising kids for the sake of the kingdom, that is just as important kingdom work. Um, but yeah, it's true that maybe those people committed to vocational singleness have a folk can, can do certain kingdom work with a certain depth because they're not dividing their energies between, you know, three or four or five different kingdom work projects like a married parents might be, but instead you can maybe focus all of those energies on one kingdom work project. So it's not, it's not better. It's just, it's just different. Um, but to your question of like, what does it look like for me as a person committed to vocational singleness to still in, engage my sexuality? And I think it depends on how we define our sexuality. If we define our sexuality is our capacity and need for romance and sexual intercourse, well, then that's one way to, to define it. Um, or if we define it, and, and as I would suggest more broadly, as our need for connection in the context of community. That's great. Connection on an intellectual level, a spiritual level, a physical level, an emotional level. Um, and we need that in the context of community and, and community made, yes, in the context of marriage, but also community in the context of, of friendship and an extended family and a local church and a neighborhood and a community. Um, so can, can romantic and sexual intimacy in the context of marriage be ways you enjoy connection in the context of community? Yes. But I also see in my own life as someone committed to celibacy and living in a family of brothers that I experience meaningful intellectual intimacy and emotional intimacy and spiritual intimacy with my brothers in this brotherhood. And while there's not any romance or sex between us, 
there is meaningful physical intimacy in other ways, you know, giving each other a hug and sitting next to each other on the couch while we're reading a book or watching a movie, or even kind of, I don't know if you guys notice this, but even if you, if you're going on a run with someone or you're doing yard work with someone, or you're, you're, you're lifting weights at the gym with someone, even if you're not physically touching, when you are particularly engaging your body or next to, and in kind of collaboration with another human, there's a sense of connectedness, even from that kind of an experience. So, you know, I don't want to get too, you know, um, ethereal about like some of this stuff, but I think there's meaningful ways that I am still very much a, a human, a, a sexual being engaging my sexuality in healthy ways. It doesn't involve romance. It doesn't involve sexual intercourse, but, but I think, um, you know, God made us mind, body, and spirit we will have resurrected bodies in the new heavens and new earth, that it will be good that we have a mind, a body, and a spirit. We are made for that. And I don't think Jesus is calling any human in this life to deny their mindedness or their embodiedness or their spiritedness. You know, I think God is calling all of us to, to see that those are good, to see that there is also a, a responsibility to steward our mind, body, and spirit to care for our, the, the temple that is our mind, a temple for the Lord that is our mind, body, and spirit. And part of that is about um, meeting our needs for connection um, on a mind, body, and spirit level in, in healthy ways. It's unreal. I think the thing that encourages me is that, um, how do I say this? It's, I, uh, my wife just said this just briefly. It was a throwaway statement, but she's like, it was just a random kind of prayer. It's like, thank you, Lord, for always calling us <clears throat> higher. This is a higher level of, of life, of, of love, of truth, of morality. Could mm -hmm. I use that word in our modern day you know what i'm saying like we have lost all sense of any type of virtue of morality um and really life's mission beyond us um it really is inspiring peter um robbie did you have any more questions you wanted to jump in i've got a few more but i don't want to dominate the interview yeah not at all man i think um i think i would summarize that last bit because you just really both made me think of it. it it's reminding me of when it says in corinthians that we're all part of one body and it seems like there's a there's a limb or a finger or whatever that has been really missing and it's this this powerful force of vocationally single people who are liberated uh, in a way to do things that those of us who are a different limb, you know, family limbs, marriage limbs, children limbs, um, that have, we, that's dominated the conversation. Maybe we've sure. overdeveloped that muscle and we've got atrophy over here uh, mm -hmm. where we have all these people who could have been and should have been uh, totally released and embraced at the same time into God's calling. So, you know, while the family, I, I see, I guess now families and, and godly families and even marriages without children are different limbs all on their own. They're not like, okay, let's hopefully everyone can have that because that's unrealistic and it's not the call of God. Uh, and let's, uh, 
let's have them be limbs and let's also have this powerful force of singles out there as a limb as well. So it seems like something that uh, I'm glad Peter's exercising. Um, I guess you you kind of touched on it earlier, but I'm really curious about this, Peter, and, and I hope that people would be able to hear about this and reach out to you. Um, you talked about helping kids at an early age try to help parents really develop and, and understand how to have these conversations with children. Obviously, I think a lot of, especially our American culture wars are in that space right now of sure. don't teach my kids stuff in school that I don't want them to know. Sure. Um, and so the church can obviously, I'm not saying we jive into the culture war, but mm-hmm. obviously parents are concerned, obviously, about what their kids are learning. Christian parents seem to be very loud about that. And and with, with just cause, I understand where they're coming from. Are you guys in that space or of developing something in that area of um, working in, uh, I guess, creating sort of resources or things for churches and for parents in particular? Um, or do you even have, have you come across good work that it's like, this is something that parents can start to enter? That was literally my next question is, what yeah. are some resources that you're either one, creating in your ministry or two uh, that have been um, a real value you add in the work you're doing that you trust. Yeah. So one of the uh, marquee resources that equip uh, the ministry that I run and kind of my, my primary job um, doing kind of consulting and training with churches around LGBT plus topics, according to a historic sexual ethic. One of our marquee resources is our parent course. Um, which is a 12 and a half hour um, course to teach parents how to lead their kids ages two through 12 in age appropriate conversation about God's wisdom for everyone's sexual stewardship, including God's love and wisdom for LGBT plus people. Um, And that's been developed by my coworker, uh, Amber Carroll, who herself is a mom of two young kids. And because of their family story has had to have some of these conversations earlier than some of her peers um, but not so much earlier than, you know, as kind of the, the state of things accelerates in, in popular culture, um, unless we kind of go move out into the woods and we have no internet and we isolate our children from everything in the world, they're going to be um, exposed to ideas and questions earlier than they are really developmentally able to handle them. Right. And so... Uh, if parents aren't able to and, and don't believe the Lord is calling them to go move out into the middle of the woods without internet, um, the next best thing is our parents teaching kids how to think about the brokenness of the world and the questions that raises before the world teaches their kids how to think about that. Recognizing that that means parents choosing to bring up these topics earlier than they want to, earlier than they should have to. But that's the only way that we are going to be able to disciple our kids in these topics before the world disciples our kids in these topics. Um, and so, yeah, right now, uh, our parent course is actually kind of a, a live um, cor- virtual course um, that, that, that we offer every quarter uh, to parents across the world. Um, we also go into churches and we offer our parent course to parents um, in churches. And then right now we are developing um, an on-demand version of the course and also a book version of the course, which will be really valuable resources. Um, and I can't recommend this, this resource that my um, coworker has developed. I can't recommend it enough. Um, it's really, I, I think every parent, Christian parent, uh, if you've got a kid younger than age 12, you should go through this course. Yeah, well, that's excellent. Where can we um, find a little bit more information on your ministry equip? 
Yeah, if you go to equipyourcommunity.org forward slash parent course, uh, you'll find lots of great info about the parent course. You also find some free resources uh, related to parenting around sexuality, um, some parent conversation starters. And what you'll see in that is kind of a, a little teaser of what's in the parent course, which is um, Amber Carroll, our parent resource uh, specialist, doesn't just kind of tell parents how to think about these topics. She actually gives parents scripts for how to lead your kids in these conversations. And it's not just one script for ages two through 12, because there's four different conversations you would have in that age range, right? What you talk about to two, three, and four-year-olds is different than five, six, and seven-year-olds, is different than eight, nine, and 10-year-olds, is different than 12 and 13-year-olds. And so her scripts are also chunked by age range. And, and how do we, across the lifespan of our kids, um, build up slowly this foundation of, of kind of biblical theology, a biblical wisdom um, for, for our sexualities in our kids? Um, so yeah, if you go to equipyourcommunity.org forward slash parent course um, and check out some of the free resources linked there, you can get a sense of what these scripts are that you would get an even fuller access to if you went through our parent course. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. We appreciate the work you're doing. Yeah. Um, just want to ask just a one or two kind of wrap up questions. One, what has you most either hopeful or excited Excited right now about the work you're doing and the and the path you're on. Yeah. So um, one thing we're really excited about at Equip is we just released our gender incongruence course, which is um, a four session course, kind of addressing trans topics and and what is God's wisdom for Christians who are experiencing gender incongruence and how is God calling um, believers um, who, who are navigating that experience to submit their gender to the Lord. Um, and a lot of parents are asking questions these days about kind of gender and trans people um, in the world and kind of how, how do we teach our kids around those topics? Um, how do we teach our kids that God didn't make a mistake when he gave them the body that, that, that he did? How do we also recognize the brokenness in all of our minds and bodies and spirits and that there are some kids who look at their body and they see they're a boy, but something in their heart feels a little different. And, and how, do we, how do we disciple those kids with God's wisdom while also recognizing that there's strong cultural trends to confuse kids about their gender and about their biological sex, even when there is no brokenness, there is no disconnect, there is no incongruence between their gender and their biological sex. So very complicated stuff, uh, resource that a lot of parents in uh, related to our, connected to our ministry have been asking for for a couple of years. And we yeah. finally released that on our website. And we're really excited about that because uh, we know this is something that, that, that keeps a lot of parents up at night. They're afraid. They're afraid um, of what their kids might hear. And they're afraid that when, when this topic comes up, they don't know how to offer God's love and wisdom around this topic to their kids. That's what we want to, we want to give parents is comfort and confidence in how they can lead their kids uh, around these topics. Absolutely amazing, man. Absolutely amazing. Robbie, did you have anything else for the good of the cause? I think, uh, I think, it's good. I uh, I would ask that it, Peter, if there's um, I guess I had questions about equip. Sorry, let me wrap up my brain. Um, because you got me going sixty thousand ways. I love it. 
Is there funding that you guys are raising or are you completely private company? Um, is And if it is, you know, if it is more of a not-for-profit or something, are there ways that people can get involved or support your ministry? Yeah. Yeah. So um, only about 20% of our budget comes from kind of, um, kind of honorariums and, and kind of, um, um, compensation from churches and, 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 uh, and groups of church leaders that we work with. And, and that's because we, uh, intentionally choose to charge the churches that we work with 20% of the real cost of doing long-term partnership with us and us providing all of the support and consulting and training uh, that churches need to really embody God's wisdom in a way that leads to uh, thriving and, and, and beautiful fruit long-term. And so in order to make this, this workable uh, by kind of charging churches less than the real cost, uh, yes, we do uh, raise support um, so that we're able to sent, be sent kind of as like missionary consultants to these churches. And we're sent by the giving uh, of, of people kind of who are part of the, the, the larger equip family uh, of people who are on mission with us and supporting our work financially, um, including uh, this recent gender incongruence course. Um, we're trying to make sure that, that any parent uh, that needs to get access to these resources can get um, scholarship access to these resources, even if they don't have the means to kind of uh, pay for access to these resources. And so one of the things we're inviting people to do in this season is uh, donate to Equip to, to provide that scholarship access to parents in need um, so, that, so that the money is never a barrier to, to parents or to pastors getting the resources they need. And so, yeah, you can learn more about uh, both our Gender Incongruence course and learn about uh, donating to scholarship uh, parents in need with access to this course um, at equipyourcommunity.org forward slash gender course. Um, or you can just go to the homepage, equipyourcommunity.org. And there's a little banner at the top um, about our uh, gender incongruence course and, and our resources and work around that. Unreal, That's man. Unreal. Last question, because we're, you know, we're running out of time. Um, what's your biggest prayer right now and the work you're doing um, for the church in the world. Just what's like, what's the burden? What's your prayer before God right now? And how can we be coming alongside you in prayer? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think my prayer often is that um, we, we, I mean, we see in scripture, right? We're, we're told by uh, the Lord through the apostles that our battle is not really with other humans. Um, it's not really with the Christian or non-Christian we disagree with about theology or about politics. Um, our fight is with, is with the enemy, um, is with the conspiracy of brokenness and sin in the world and many levels. Um, and I think sometimes the enemy very cleverly uses the the culture war, the idea of culture wars to distract Christians on, on both sides of the aisle, on both sides of the arguments, um, distract them from the ways that the enemy is ultimately deceiving both mm. to spend all of their time and their energy thinking about this other human they disagree with um, and, 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 and kind of picking an extreme in a conversation instead of, and really that's out of our fear, right? We, we notice how broken the world is. We notice, particularly if we're parents, we notice how scary it is to be raising kids in a broken world. And, 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 and in that fear, 
it's easy for us to reach out to something that makes us feel strong. Whatever the closest thing is that'll make us feel strong. Um, Sometimes it takes strength to lean into that fear and say, there aren't easy answers. And God has wisdom, but it, but it may not be the wisdom that it's loudest out there. Um, and so I think my prayer for, for, for any believer, and particularly for parents, is to maybe try to notice a little bit more the ways the enemy is trying to use the culture wars to actually distract us from God's compassionate and, um, and, and truthful wisdom. Um, and then instead of getting uh, kind of uh, trapped between kind of this false dichotomy um, to, to seek kind of how has the Lord taught historically? How, how has the Lord taught his, his, his followers over the past 2000 years about any of these topics? What are the ways that the Lord has, has challenged us to embody both the grace and the truth of Christ uh, in, in any of this work we're doing um, and not to compromise, not, not to compromise on either grace or compromise on truth. Um, I think uh, whenever we at Equip work with churches that seem to have that heart, that posture, that's when I have the most hope that we can get parents in those churches uh, the resources they need to help their kids thrive according to God's wisdom. That's wonderful. This is kind of like, that's right where we kind of land with the good Christian co. It's like, we see that I love the, the way you describe it, the false dichotomy. Folks either kind of land on the truth side and morality or conservatism or the gray side and liberality, and uh, you can't do it. It's yes, right? It's both. And and this is where me and Robbie talk about where where are we? I'm probably more on the truth side. Robbie's probably a little more on the gray side. And we argue a lot, and it's great because... Yeah, yeah, because we, but we are committed to the Jesus way, which is often in that gray middle where, you know, children think in black and white, children do. And we've got a lot of childish Christians who have to be, I I love how often you use the word discipleship. Um, It really takes discipling, um, you know, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, like everything, right? It's not, we I've sometimes, depending on which uh, local body you're in, I think your discipleship will kind of land where the pastor's strength is. Maybe sure. it's a little bit more intellectual. Maybe, you know, he disciples your, your emotions a little bit more, right? And so it really is, um, it takes some maturing to deal with these very difficult Topics. It also takes education, right? It takes you have to learn God's wisdom, right? And so, um, I think what I would love, Peter, is just would you pray a um, just a prayer of of uh, blessing over everyone that's listening, and just that God would raise them up. You know, the the mission of the Good Christian Co is to provide Christians with with hope, equipping, and encouragement to follow Jesus well in our modern world. And this is what you're doing, man. And so uh, I couldn't think of a better guest to pray a blessing to help give them the hope, equipping, and encouragement to follow Jesus well in this area. So Yeah, I'd be, I'd be honored to. Awesome. Let's pray. All right.
God, we know uh, that you put us together, that you made good plans and good designs for this world and all of us to enjoy connection in the context of community. Um, we know that nothing, though, is, is as you first intended it to be. And yet we're so grateful that you gave us your wisdom in your scriptures and gave us the church to, to read those scriptures with together and understand how to apply them to our life today. Um, God, you see particularly the, the parents, but, but, but all believers out there who um, know that, that their sexualities are broken, see the ways that broken sexuality shows up in the world around them, and, and we're scared. Um, and, and in that fear, um, we maybe are tempted to, to reach out for simple explanations that, that either don't fully um, embody um, love and compassion for our neighbor um, and empathy, or fully don't embody um, that, that there are good, there is good, there, there are better things in this life for us than others. Uh, and that true love involves uh, pointing people uh, we care about towards those best things and helping them take hold of that. And so, um, yeah, I, I, God, I ask you to bless um, those who are listening with um, a, a peace that when we seek and follow and offer God's love and wisdom on these topics, um, that it is sufficient, um, that it is satisfying, that it is best for us, that we will find strength in it. Um, and I ask you to then bless uh, those listening with wisdom, uh, with clarity of mind, to, to see uh, in your scriptures both your love and wisdom for LGBT plus people, um, and that we would uh, listen to you, Lord, the ways that you are calling us to take action upon that, um, to, to offer your love and wisdom to the LGBT plus people in our community, um, uh, both close uh, and wide, um, and also prepare those um, in, our, in, our, in our community who that's not a part of their story, how they can offer God's love and wisdom to LGBT plus people. Uh, God, we know you have uh, good wisdom for us that will lead to thriving and will lead to depth and closeness of community. We yearn for that and we ask for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Peter, you are doing a mighty work for God in this generation, and it is an honor to have spoken with you. Um, I'm going to make an executive decision here. We're, we're, uh, we are incorporating for our nonprofit, and you are going to be the first ministry we support. It won't be much. We'll do what we can, but we are going to wow. do that because um, I just absolutely believe in the work you're doing. And so um, we I look forward to hearing more about the work you're doing. And I want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for the example that you're studying in the body of Christ. Oh, wow. You're welcome. And yeah, thank you guys for the for the encouragement. It's, it's, it's needed and appreciated. Yeah, man. Please don't be a stranger. Uh, I'm sure we're going to have opportunity to speak again. But thank you again, Peter. And everybody, we'll see you next time on the Good Christian Podcast. Be blessed. <laughs>